The Guardian. Guardian Podcasts are partnered with audible.co.uk. For a free download, be sure to check out guardian.co.uk slash audible, where Guardian listeners can choose any audiobook for free. See the page for more details. I'm John Plunkett, and on this week's Media Talk... Rebecca Brooks, between the 6th of July and the 19th of July 2011, conspired with Charles Brooks, Cheryl Carter, Mark Hanna... Paul Edwards, Daryl Jorsling and persons unknown to conceal material from officers of the Metropolitan Police Service. Charge 2, also conspiracy. I have always respected the criminal justice system, I have to question today whether the decision was made on a proper, impartial assessment of the evidence. And we talk to some of the winners at the Sony Radio Academy Awards and ask who had a night to remember and who had one to forget. Talking of the wireless, we also round up the latest Rajar figures. Plus, we turn our attention to the small screen with Channel 4's annual report and the BBC's shock horror decision to axe Blue Peter from BBC One. But is it really that shocking? This is Media Talk from The Guardian. But we start this week with Rebecca Brooks, who was told she will face three charges of conspiracy to pervert the course of justice. Her husband, Charlie Brooks, also faces one charge of conspiracy to pervert the course of justice. They were among six individuals charged over allegations that they were engaged in a cover-up to hide evidence from police investigating phone hacking at the News of the World. Dan, this was a momentous day in the phone hacking saga. It certainly was a momentous day. It's uh, Rebecca Brooks and, and the others are the first people to be charged in relation to any sort of phone hacking related investigation. Although, as you were saying, it's it's a conspiracy to hurt the course of justice. So these are not phone hacking charges per se. Uh, she's been charged, everyone's innocent until they're proven guilty, there's very little you can say about this, but clearly uh, this, you know, this is clearly a development, a, a step uh, uh, a step change, if you like, in the, in the investigation. And I think what's sort of worrying people at News International, and I think if you look at the effect on the company, is that potentially with so many other people who have been arrested and may or may not be charged, we don't know, but, but the company could well face many more days like this where the CPS announces the day before it's going to take a decision in a particular file and there's a guessing game as to what that sort of who, who that person might be and then and then before you know it then then there's a sort of make or break moment all, all of which is played out on live television yes well as you say there was a high, high high profile announcement by the cps live on tv which was preempted by brooks um uh, earlier with their own statement and then later on in the day rebecca brooks and charlie brooks were back on tv issuing their own statement and they, they didn't uh, they didn't mince their words Yes, uh, uh, you, know, uh, you know, they were really showing mastery, if you like, sort of the m- modern media. Uh, they put out their own statement immediately before the CPS statement, I think talking about a weak and unjust decision by the CPS to, to bring charges. So in effect, they preempted the CPS announcement and confirmed it uh, and then came on and made a statement outside the... The office of their solicitors, Kingsley Napoli, at 5.15, you know, perfectly timed for first editions and, you know, news bulletins... And sort of both, I think, like they memorised this, sort of memorised these rather short statements. Charlie Brooks said his wife had been a sort of victim of a witch hunt, was the phraseology he used. Uh, she talked about the whole process being, you know, a waste of public money uh, and expressed her regret that other people 
uh, had been dragged into it, the security professionals and sh- chauffeur and a head of security at News International. So, um, uh, you know, a fine, a fine media moment, if you like. You know, short, sweet statements at 5.15. We were all sort of, I think, glued to our televisions at The Guardian watching that. And now we wait a, a time and a date. We do. I think next month it goes before. Uh, I, I, I think it sort of goes before the magistrates next month. And but I think a court case is uh, uh, going to be a long time off, twenty thirteen, something like that. And that's again another issue for News International, which is this thing is being protracted. I mean, same issue indeed for for David Cameron and Number Ten and 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 people who uh, have been politically close to Rebecca Brooks, which is you know, once again this this you know no, no, this saga is just sort of stretched out over an extended period of time and anyone who's thinking that Leveson might be the Leveson inquiry might be the end of the consequences of phone hacking uh, well it looks like we're going to see things sort of going on beyond when Leveson reports in about October. Well, you mentioned Leveson there. It's been a relatively quiet few days at the inquiry this week, but uh, what can we expect next week? Well, I think the most significant thing that happened this week was when Lord Justice Leveson sort of made what he described as a significant announcement and then sort of rambled on for about 50 minutes, as only judges can. Uh, None of Rebecca Brooks' media skills, Taiwan said. But he he said, uh, uh, you know, what he said was that uh, he wanted the, one of the things he said was in fact that Fred Michelle and Adam Smith would be coming to the inquiry uh, soon in the next fortnight. I think we can expect them actually uh, a bit sooner than that. Uh, and so these are sort of two key key people at the heart of the uh, the Jeremy Hunt, you know, Minister for Murdoch affair, if you like. Uh, Adam Smith, the special advisor who resigned because of the inappropriate volume and tone of his 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 back channel contact with Fred Michelle, James Murdoch's sort of lobbyist in 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 chief, the man who was sort of tasked day to day with smoothing the B Sky B bid through the regulatory process. So, uh, you know, that that's promises to be an interesting moment. The other interesting thing, Leveson, just in, in, in part of that statement, was he sort of effectively told Parliament and the Labour Party to back off because I think what Labour had been concerned about was. You know when is you know when is Jeremy Hunt going to give an account of himself before Leveson? We still don't know, and and I think Labour was sort of saying, well, what, you know, but but the, you know the minister's responsibility is Parliament, and he should be answerable answerable to Parliament, and any documents he puts to the inquiry should be put before Parliament as well. And the Speaker the day before on the Monday uh, had sort of uh, indicated in a response to point of order from Harriet Arman that yes, of course, you know the, you know, the minister is the minister, and his responsibility to Parliament don't go away. What the judge was saying to Parliament was back off. That's right, but don't go there. Let my inquiry take its course. It will take it'll take a little while, but let my inquiry take its course. Let Jeremy Hunt come before me, and then we can take it from there. And that was, you know, an important point of procedure. And Labour did respond to that by saying, "We will back off, and we'll let the judge do his thing." Okay. Well, all things Leveson at MediaGuardian.co.uk, of course. And Dan Sabber, thanks very much. I'm joined now by Maggie Brown, media journalist and regular Media Guardian contributor, and media consultant Paul Robinson. Welcome both. Let's talk Sonys, which are of course known as the radio equivalent of the Oscars, or as they say at the Oscars, the film industry equivalent of the Sonys. Anyway, it was a good night for BBC Radio 6 Music, which was named Station of the Year, and there was plenty of good cheer for presenters on Radio 2, Radio 4 and BBC Radio 5 Live. But there were two awards in particular that made the headlines. BBC Radio Humbersides Beryl Rennick and Betty Smith, combined age 176, beat Frank Skinner and Adam and Joe to the prize for Best Entertainment Programme. And Talk Sports' Richard Keyes and Andy Gray, the duo formerly known as disgraced former Sky Sports presenters after their exit from the broadcast in a sexism row, won the Best Sports Programme Award. 
So I'd like to thank, of course, Five I caught up with them at the Sooners, along with another winner on the night, Danny Baker. A few minutes before it starts and make the show up. I'm sorry I frightened the life out of them tonight by tweeting earlier on that if I didn't win, like Joey Barton, I was going to take some people with me. <laughs> if we are dealing with, you know, personality, which is what I've won for tonight, I think there's a, a hierarchy and a structure around radio shows that is very threatened by a self-contained host, and I can understand that. I could totally understand that. But equally, uh, you know, when sometimes, and with all due respect, you see 15 people on stage to accept an award for a radio show, I think, wow, okay, okay, that's a different sort of thing. And sometimes I think the reason I've never been popular on the network and I've won loads of awards and everyone tells me, you know, uh, it's, it, you know, I've been influential and done this and done that. And yet, may the record show, they won't actually let us loose on the network. That's fine. That's all right. I'm doing okay. I've always done okay. I mean, I remember when Jonathan Ross got into trouble. And my good friend Jonathan, I rang him up. They said, they've asked me to do the show for four weeks. Is that all right, Jonathan? He said, yeah. And I went and done the show, me and Zoe Ball. Uh, and they were good enough again to say, well, he comes and he makes a show up and that's what he does and he's going to play the records and all of this and all the heavy lifting, I think Zoe would say, you know, I, I, and, and that's great and she was terrific. And we did them and they went very well. They asked Zoe back. <laughs> and that's, don't get me wrong, I'm not bitter and I really ain't because I do very, very well. But sometimes you think, Okay, all right, and I'm sure if I'd have dropped dead last year, as I nearly did, it went, oh, he was the best, he was brilliant, but they won't actually go that far to actually say you should be on every day. Just finally, Dan, your, your, your thoughts on your second Sony Gold Award in, in two years? Terrific, I mean, it's love. It, it is terrific. It is the one thing it gives you, I think, more than prestige, more than uh, satisfaction, is the fact you can walk around the tables of people you've defeated afterwards and say, tough luck suckers, better luck next time. <laughs> okay, I'm here with Sony Gold Award winners, Richard Keyes and Andy Gray. Um, Richard, what did it mean to win the award tonight? <sighs> it, it's the only thing I've ever won, not the first thing, it's the only thing I've ever won. Um, bearing in mind where we came from, and, and we were here 12 months ago to watch Talksport pick up radio station of the year, uh, Moz D, controller of the year. Moz, Moz won't, he went out on a limb for us. Um, and as I said tonight, he, the, the, I remember him saying, just, you know, be good guys. What it meant to me was that we were able to say to Moz, I, I, I think we've been okay. Listen, I understand there are probably people in this room uh, in the background who, who don't like Richard and I, but Listen, that was the same thing for 20 years when we worked for, Talks, uh, for Sky Sports. You can't believe that everyone likes you. The late, great Emlyn Hughes always said to me, what's your best win? And your best win's your latest win. And this tonight is the best I've felt for such a long time. And I loved it. I loved it. And, when it, when, and it's appropriate, when we're coming up to the Olympics, I just want to say to our Olympians, don't settle for second, don't settle for third, win. Because let me tell you, winning is a lot better than anything else. One last thing I would say is when Leveson's finished, come and talk to me again and I'll tell you the truth. <laughs> well, Richard, just finally on that, I mean, 
How do you? And by the way, <laughs> I'll leave Richard to talk to you about Leveson. I'm off. <laughs> Taking the goal is a duo described by the judges as joyous, entertaining, unconstrained by any ingrained ideas of what works and what doesn't. And the winners, if I was 80 years younger, Beryl and Betty! So I should ask first, how did it feel to win the Sony Award? Neither of us can believe it, really. At our age, we can't believe it's happened to us. You're the oldest Sony winners ever, I think, by, by some stretch. Yeah, Betty's 90, I'm 86. But when we get that award, Betty's taking it on first, then she'll bring it back. Sh- I, haven't, I haven't had any family. When I've shown my friends it, I'm going to give it to David Reeves. I said to Betty, when you look round, you don't, you don't um, hear of older, older people doing a radio programme. You don't, do you? You don't hear of it. You might get a bigger audience as a result of tonight's award win. Yeah. Uh, the, Anybody who's got a computer can get us. My, my cousin lives in New Zealand, North Island, all the miles away. He rang me for it. He says, Beryl, I've just watched your programme. Well, of course, New Zealand, a different hours to us. He just watched it on his computer, and now he gets us every week, you know. So, Paul, what did you make of this year's awards? Well, I thought it was a fantastic night, actually, and probably one of the best ever. Lots of entertainment. Gary Barlow at the end was fantastic. Um, Overall, I mean, looking at the mix, 37 awards overall, which is probably on the erring on the side of maybe one too many, but uh, BBC got 22, Commercial Radio 13, one for The Guardian, one for um, National Prison Radio. So actually, you know, not a bad mix of, um, uh, of, of awards. And I think what was great was seeing, as well as people you've mentioned already and, and interviewed already, um, other names like David Rodigan, you know, who's been a stalwart of specialist music, you know, at Capital and at Kiss and now at Radio 2 for years. And I mean, most unlikely, um, maybe a champion of reggae when you, when you meet him, he looks like a bank manager. But of course, a brilliant broadcaster and, and he was acknowledged um, Danny Baker um, and I think overall you know um, it was it was a good night Chris Evans um, you know for Brit Radio 2 rightly so I mean he is absolutely at the top of his game uh, Maggie what did you think it was a as we mentioned there a good night for Chris Evans and Six Music but not so good for Radio 1 and also Ashley Table's Global Radio, which I think only, went, only picked up one award, which was the, the special award for Classic FM. Yes, indeed. And of course, Classic FM was 20 years old as well. And so in a way, it was being given a sort of little boost because of its longevity, I suppose. Uh, I, well, the funny thing about these awards, I've been very critical of them in the past. And I'd like to pick up one of Paul's points. You know, maybe there are too many awards. I used to think that, and I have actually gone into print saying that. But I completely changed my mind. Partly this year was because I was judging uh, the best news and features uh, bit. And when I looked at the list, there were 68, and my heart really sank. But as I got into them, I realised that there was this real figure in radio, commercial radio, and in many parts of the BBC, including, of course, local BBC radio. And I, I, I found myself being really... Uh, drawn in to some of the more local radio pieces and real radios pieces, for example, 15-minute features that I hadn't expected to enjoy at all. And 
I, I then went to the awards with with a different, um, I suppose, a, a different sense of expectation, and I found the room absolutely humming with people who love radio. And I, I was sitting next to a comedian, and I said to him, um, "Why are they like this?" Because you know, one sat through quite a few, you know, quite buttoned down Royal Television Society type journalism awards, that kind of thing. And he said, "Oh, it's because they're all shut away in little rooms, dark little rooms, you know, putting out music and doing that, you know, interviewing or whatever, and they just love to come out and celebrate." And I thought he's right, you know, that I, I was just he's so totally pleased right. and in to fact, be there. It's totally right. And, and Liverpool was interesting too, wasn't it? Because um, Juice won one of the small station of the year's awards and Radio City won uh, the largest station of award. And you can imagine everyone from Liverpool thinking, wow, you know, suddenly we've been recognised. And for those guys who were there, it's cheering. It's a big night out. The other thing that was really good about the Sonys this year is I think it actually correctly identified where there's excellent work being doing. For example, um, the DAB Rising Star Award, which is one I, I judged. Fantastic, they hear so much new talent. Mm. Um, and, and the guy who won, um, Luke, uh, from Fun Kids, is a really genuinely bright spark who's got a great future. And, you know, and have him recognised in that way was, was really good. And I must also mention Kiss, because you know Kiss is on a bit of an up at the moment. Um, and Kiss won for the Ki- uh, breakfast show, wasn't it? Yeah, Best Kiss uh, 100 in London. Their breakfast show is really lively. I mean, there's great banter. Not entirely my cup of tea and not aimed at me obviously but you can recognize this energy passion and they love it and Andy Roberts who programs it also rewarded quite rightly so you know hit the nail on the head the right people got the gongs and Andy, I was so pleased uh, that Beryl and Betty did win because it was a sort of good news story for local radio, BBC local radio. Yeah. And, uh, and, of course, they obviously have had a brilliant presenter, but then it, it provided this kind of point of difference. And, of course, now we've had the uh, decision by the BBC to uh, basically almost reverse the, the, the cutback it was going to make. I think only about 2.1 million is actually going to be cut. when you More of that the, later, Maggie, oh, sorry, getting ahead of ourselves. Oh, no, you carry on. But, 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 but I actually thought that, that for the first time I felt in, in, in that room that it, sometimes you feel it's just prizes for everyone and instead I agree with Paul we shouldn't keep on agreeing but it was prizes for excellence and difference and just a sense really also of regional difference yeah, definitely. we'll Paul, find ways to disagree of- later I'm sure <laughs> Well, Paul, what did you make of the, uh, I think it's fair to say the reaction was, uh, was it muted, mixed, when uh, Andy Gray and Richard Keyes picked up the sports award at, at TalkSport? You're a former TalkSport. I thought it, I thought it was mixed. Um, and you know what? I've worked with those two. I mean, I worked with them when I was at Talk Radio and they did World Cup commentary. And they have got a chemistry. And they have transferred that chemistry to uh, on air. And whatever the background of what's happened in the past, we all know that. The reality is, on TalkSport, they do a really, really good job. It, I mean, I'm not particularly into what they talk about. I'm not particularly into sport. But it's got a chemistry, it's got an energy, and it was a great signing by Mosdi, and it was right to recognise them. Sticking with the radio, the latest radar figures are out this week for the first three months of 2012. Paul, what caught your eye this quarter? Well, I mean, overall, it was, um, there, there were no big sort of shocks. Um, I think what was interesting was that um, we're seeing digital radio growing, but I have to say the rate of growth is still um, slow. Um, the share of all radio listening via a digital platform is now just under 30% compared to 26.5% a year ago. But, you know, at that trajectory, it's going to take a million years until we get digital um, completely replacing analog. So, you know, it's just not fast enough. DAB is growing by 15% a year. You know, it's sort of OK. But and it, DAB it, actually slipped down from the previous quarter, but the previous perhaps quarter. 
just a statistical anomaly, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, year on year, it's up by 15%. So, I mean, I think that's the sort of figure. It's just not really fast enough. So now 30% of listening is to digital. So a long way to go until there's complete conversion. Um, aside from that, obviously, the really interesting story was the Moyles-Evans battle uh, and the, the gap between those two audiences uh, ever-growing. I think, to me, what it says is that Chris Evans is still someone who is at the top of his game and actually, as we saw at the Sony's, full of energy, tremendous communicator, and that show's got room to continue to grow. Chris Moyles is a great broadcaster, but, you know, you get a sense he's in the autumn of his career on Radio 1, and that show is probably running out of steam. And I think it's interesting seeing some of the blog comments that you see young people who shouldn't really be in the Radio 2 target audience are saying they prefer Evans to, to Moyles. And Maggie, Chris Moyles, it was uh, revealed this week, has been in chats with, uh, been in talks with Radio 2 about possibly doing an 80s-themed music show. Is this sort of, um, you know, the beginning of the end for him on Radio 1, do you think? I think this is the very sensible um, way in which the BBC has managed to find a way of sort of smoothing the exit from a youth channel onto a more uh, adult channel. And we've seen it with a number of their DJs. I mean, instead of having this bitterness of departing and slagging off the BBC, uh, the door opens and you walk into another studio and another station and you're still part of the BBC family. I think that's a very mature... Uh, thing to do. The other thing I, I thought about the Rajas was that um, I, I and I don't. I'd be interested to hear what you think, John, on this. Uh, I thought Radio Four came out um, perhaps rather poorly. Its audience has slipped, and I was wondering if that was a judgment, perhaps, on Gwyneth Williams's new schedule, because I certainly find myself um, finding it uh, or listening somewhat less. Because, for example, the uh, combination of uh, a half-hour news at one, followed by a, a different type of programme, I thought worked very well. It's been altered into 45 minutes of news with a strange 15-minute little blob before you come to the Archers. And another, a number of other quite well-respected shows, like uh, Taking a Stand, have, um, have been axed in favour of other things. And uh, I, I'm just wondering about the lightness and shade in, in the radio full schedule and if it's got a bit, um, I mean, wonderful and cerebral, though she is. I'm just wondering if it's quite the, uh, the network that it could be. It may be partly, I think, uh, radio-wise, coming down from a particularly high quarter last time around. I think the, the Today programme, for instance, last time around was in a, within a whisker of um, taking over uh, Chris Moyle's audience. Yeah, I mean, today, today's, down by, today's down by half a million, which is actually more than the Radio 4 audience is down. That's so, it, yes. you know, it could well be that Today has actually knocked it back. It's probably a bit early to tell. I, I, I share your views on, on the schedule as a listener, but I think probably the data is yet to, to demonstrate that. I was going to mention Radio 3, which I think is more of a worry, particularly when you look at the cost of Radio 3 and the cost of delivering that that service for an audience now that's down to 1.9 million. You know, Radio 3 has been trending down for a little while. It shows absolutely no sign at all of, of reducing. And we know Classic of M's gone down a bit too, but Classic mm. of M's audience is three times the size of Radio 3's. I think you have to look very hard and long at Radio 3 and well, say, is it doing the right thing? Because it's just not value for money at that audience. And Radio 3 was, was down 16%, wasn't it, year on year? Yes. Sorry, there's also new, uh, a new schedule as well. I mean, they've changed their breakfast show. There's been a lot of criticism yeah. of their plans. Usually, though, Radio 3 has a big upsurge once the problems start. And, and the it problems seem do. to be growing in, yes. in you know, popularity as, as the years go by. So that's but overall, fine. Radio 3 is trending, it's still trending I, I down, agree. which I think is a, a worry. And I don't know what happened to Huey Morgan's audience on uh, Six Music, but uh, Paul, we should mention this uh, extraordinary uh, Twitter rant. There's no other way of putting it in the, in the wake of Six Music's win at the, at the Sony's on uh, Monday night or Tuesday morning, more like. 
Well, I mean, to me, I thought he was a complete fool. I mean, what a buffoon, you know, to embarrass himself in such a bad way. But on the other hand, a lot of people I spoke to said, never heard of Huey Morgan before. Who is he? And now they all know who he is. I mean, you know, he's probably damaged his relationship at the station more than he's damaged his relationship with audiences. But I mean, it was a very ill-judged remark. We should say, if people didn't catch it, here's the uh, fun, uh, fun-loving criminals frontman, or, or fun-loving Twitterer, perhaps we should call him, who uh, who had a pop at, uh, well, had a pop at Lauren Laverne on Six Music. He was critical of uh, Fern Cotton, uh, several uh, radio DJs. Rather um, more notable personalities than himself, it must be said. Maggie, what do you think, uh, you know, in the wake of uh, maybe broadening it beyond Huey, but, you know, when, when a presenter does this sort of thing on a station, can they... <laughs> <laughs> can they can they come back? I mean, he had, he was spoken to by, by Bob Shannon the day after, and uh, you know, rem- apparently will remain on air. But um, it, it's uh, you but know, it I've never done anything like it. It can't help your career, can no, it? I mean, not. it shows bad judgment. And also, let's remember, if you're trusting people live in front of a microphone, then you do want to know that they're kind of balanced and sensible. It, it would it would raise a big question mark in my yeah. He's no Chris Evans. <laughs> Well, that's enough radio for the moment. Let's turn our attention now to Channel 4, which this week revealed that it made £44 million in pre-tax profits in 2011, down 19% on 2010. The decline would have been a lot steeper had it not been for the success of the Inbetweeners movie on DVD, which helped make up for a big loss on its core offering, Channel 4, of more than £40 million. Maggie, what was your take on the results this week? I thought they were pretty heavily spun, to be honest. Um, I mean, I don't blame Channel 4 for trying to put the best possible light on them, but uh, when you looked at them in more detail, um, you you did note that um, not only was Channel 4 the main channel, the mother channel, in loss, uh, there's also been a slight erosion in its share of the advertising market, which is quite serious. Uh, The... Ratings of 6.8% for last year are 2.2% below. That's the audience share. Audience share has, has been the target and for a long time. And if in you take out plus one from that, it's actually down to, I think, just under 6%. That's right. And the other, of course, worrying thing is that um, they have, uh, thank goodness, uh, a large amount of money in the bank and they can uh, reduce it down to 200 million. I mean, this is a good position to be in to have that cushion of cash. Uh, but what we're not seeing yet is uh, a sort of sustained growth of uh, home-made, home-produced either entertainment or, or drama hits. The Daily Mirror had a real swing at them and called them Channel Bore. I, I wouldn't say that, but I do think that the problem of creative renewal is is, is quite a tough one for Channel 4. And it, it didn't seem like, uh, as you watch the presentation and the chemistry between David Abraham, the chief executive, Jay Hunt, the chief creative officer, it didn't seem the most um, cheerful of places to be in. That's what I felt anyway. Paul, uh, what did you make of it? Chief executive David Abraham was very keen on uh, talking up the, the portfolio of channels, not just Channel 4. Uh, and said that uh, if you take more for E4, Film 4 together, they're actually performing better than the the, uh, the staple of channels at either BBC or, or ITV. How do, you, how do you think it's performing? And I think he's right to do that. I mean, I think I think Channel 4 have been pretty far-sighted in terms of the way in which they've structured their, their brand sort of actually spun off the main channel. And and he's right that in total audience share, uh, they are doing better than the, the core channel. But that's really missing the point in that Channel 4, the core channel, has got to do a lot better. And I think, as Maggie was saying, you get a sense that Channel 4's in transition. It seems like 
like quite a lot of sort of quick fixes being put in the schedule, but what's the long-term strategy that's going to really redefine what Channel 4 means for the next generation? That's really what David's got to put in place. Um, obviously, there was quite a lot talked about the decline in news um, on Channel 4, particularly by core 1634 audiences. And that's the, that's the core audience Channel 4 has to deliver. That's where they get the premium on advertising. So, but um, you see, part, part of that is the fact that Hollyoaks isn't performing properly. Yes. The whole point about Channel 4 News is that it's a very strange news because it comes off of a, a teenage or supposedly teenage soap, but it also attracts people at home, ABC Ones or older people who happen to be there to view it. So it has this dual role mm. to perform. And we all know that news actually is heavily dependent on what comes before it. And so you've got a soap that's actually quite weak in mm. its 17th year. It's had a change of uh, producers. It's had a change of cast. And it's clearly not at the top of its game. <clears throat> and you've got a news programme also, which, of course, now has just lost its editor. But the editor had been there uh, uh, since 1997. And it's got a new roster of presenters and some good, you know, some very good new imports as well. But it's clearly not a particularly happy programme either. So that, too, is bedding in. Well, changing channels now. And the BBC had children of a certain age weeping into their what's-its this week after it confirmed that Blue Peter will be axed from BBC One and confined to its digital channel, CBBC. When I say children of a certain age, they're, they're kids probably about 30 years old and upwards, as grown-ups came over all nostalgic for a programme that was once essential tea-time viewing. Um, but there's a bit more choice now than when we were kids, if I may, may be so bold, uh, Maggie and Paul. Uh, Maggie, you first. Is it such a big deal, uh, Blue Peter being um, sunk on BBC One? Well, it's not just Blue Peter, is it? It's it's the the, the longer term strategy is that the uh, BBC One and BBC Two, which do run children's programmes as part of their main schedules, uh, will drop them at the point when digital switchover takes place, or, or roundabout. They may they may phase it out uh, in October of this year. Now, this had always been the long term plan, and so I approach this uh, really kind of heart and head. My heart says that I would still like. Uh, Blue Peter or other children's programmes to be, as it were, part of a big, big channel, either BBC One or BBC Two. The reason being, of course, that you just know that, that, that they're given prominence and they form part of a big mixed schedule. But uh, in my head knows that uh, I think it's only, I think 96% of all viewing of CBeebies programming, the preschool programming, uh, is on its own dedicated channel. And I think 89% of CBBC viewing is, is on the channel. Anytime you want it, you can watch it really up to seven o'clock. Uh, so I'm, I'm sort of, I understand entirely why it's happening. Uh, I, I, part of me thinks, I, I don't know if this sounds a bit strange, but BBC has also a 24-hour news channel. Uh, almost applying this logic, you could put, say all the news is over there, so we don't actually need news on BBC One. Well, of course, that doesn't seem right at all because it is a mixed channel and it's, it's, it's part of its public service duty. So there is just that tinge of regret in my own mind that, uh, that, that, that the children's programmes are purely going to be on uh, digital and, and indeed online as well. That's, Paul, that's what do you think? Opinion. Do you think kids are going to find their stuff wherever it is, if it's online on uh, number 47 on the EPG or 126? Yeah, I mean, the critical issue was the BBC certainly couldn't take the children's programmes off BBC One and BBC Two until there was basically ubiquitous digital channels, and that's where we are at the point that Maggie just made. I think for adults, the issue is that adults may now not see what their children are watching because they may well have come across something on BBC One and thought, oh, Blue Peter, you know, I'm not watching it, but I know my son or daughter is watching 
watching it. Kids will always find the digital channels and it's the right place for them to be. Um, it was inevitable that this was going to happen. I sort of share Maggie's view that I feel slightly sad about it, but I won't be trading in my Blue Peter badge. <laughs> but you see, would you have found horrible histories? Um, do you know what? I, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question, isn't it? You sort of want you sort of want there to be some sort of barker where parents can actually uh, yes, make a the... connection with their kids. But I think ultimately, you know, that space had to be cleared. So it's the right strategy, but you know. The other thing that really bothers me about the BBC's offering of children's programming. Remember, they are really the one big patron. The the CBeebies gets a very low percentage of the 120 million pounds that is spent on children's content. It only gets about 20-25%. And the the big money goes to CBBC, which is making drama, etc., etc., and probably more varied uh, schedule. But yet CBBs is actually the most popular and in many ways the more original and the most loved of those channels. So I think CBeebies is not being treated properly. There's a couple of quick points, and you're you're not wrong, but remember that... Preschool production is much simpler, um, less dialogue, simpler backgrounds, simpler designs, cheaper to make, and also repeat rates are much higher on, on preschool. So you actually need fewer hours cheaper for to, to run a preschool yes, channel than to run do, a, a kid's channel. I agree, but I think they, they could do far fewer repeats. And I think uh, since the age range... But repeats aren't bad, Maggie. You, you see, you're in a, in a mindset the there of an adult I'm thinking not, the repeats are no. bad. They're not bad having multiple repeats on a preschool channel. But the We're age range has been... The age range has been raised to age six so there's more of a push upwards now as well but they won't get it because children of six won't watch a preschool channel because once they go to school at five their mindset changes they won't watch a channel a preschool channel because there won't be any playground currency you sure they won't watch in the night garden or those they'll watch it when they're sick but they won't watch it no all the data supports that you know anyway i think they won't watch a preschool channel i'm surprised at you paul i I think cbb deserves a bigger budget i think it deserves a bigger budget but not half the budget well, I think we must leave it there as I pull you two apart. Um, as we know, the Blue Peter Switch and, and the rest of the BBC's kids' programme was part of Mark Thompson's Delivering Quality First proposals to save £700 million a year at the BBC. And those plans were largely rubber-stamped by the BBC Trust this week, but with one important exception, local radio. So, Paul, tell us, what did the Trust approve and what did they throw out? Well, what they've actually done is they've abandoned the plans to um, cut the afternoon shows on BBC Local Radio, which um, is a very sensible U-turn, and I applaud them for it. Um, And I I hark back to the analysis that um, John Myers did uh, a few months ago, looking at how BBC Local Radio could save money. Um, And he identified a number of things. Uh, One was the way in which um, cross-charges are allocated. There's a huge uh, amount of the budget spent on local radio is actually allocated for central BBC charges. Um, Another one is... um, the the cost of management and what he was suggesting was reduce the number of middle managers and maybe even put managers in charge of of regional stations so maybe one person would look after uh, Nottingham, Derby and Leicester rather than having individual managers and that seemed like a very very sensible thing to do they've not done that but they have reinstated the afternoon show and that's quite right because in the afternoon people want local information, uh, they want to be engaged, Um, a regional show in the afternoon would absolutely damage BBC local radio and the other point back to Maggie's um, uh, absolutely correct uh, celebration of the Sony Awards and BBC Radio Humberside and those two ladies who won. Um, BBC Local Radio needs to establish a distinct audience which is different to Radio 2. And now Radio 2 has come younger. BBC Local Radio has to be the place where older listeners have a home. Uh, And so this gives them the chance to continue to properly serve that 50 plus audience. 
But Maggie, I think they're going to weekday evening shows are still going to be syndicated with a sort of idea for a, a Radio England, which people have talked about as being a, a like a one show for the radio. And I think there might be a few sort of local music shows and, and distinct shows that you know people will miss. Yes, well, I'm sure there will be. I, I was quite surprised by that actually, but clearly they had to make a cut somewhere. As I read the document, I noted that they were reinvesting in what you might call local journalism and the important uh, contribution which local radio does make to the reporting of councils and of local uh, political affairs. And I I really celebrate that. And also, of course, uh, sport, which is another very popular strand in uh, local radio. I noted also, too, in the radios that BBC Local Radio had gone up quite uh, significantly. Biggest reach since 2008, I think. Now, do you think, I don't know whether that's over the furore that... Six music effect. The six music effect, as we now call it, or whether, in fact, it is that we've been through a period of pretty terrible weather and other things. And and that is exactly why local radio does have this kind of very large following as well, because it does tell you which roads are closed or it should do. And on that note, we must leave it. My thanks to Paul, Maggie and Dan. And for the final word this week, we should go back to the Sonys, where the Guardian Science Weekly podcast, produced by Jason Phipps, struck gold in the internet program category. Another Guardian podcast, Days in the Life, won silver in the same category. Congratulations both. You can leave your feedback on anything and indeed everything you've heard on the Media Talk blog or our Facebook wall. I'm John Plunkett, and Media Talk was produced by Peter Sale. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio. Guardian Podcasts are partnered with audible.co.uk. For a free download, be sure to check out guardian.co.uk slash audible, where Guardian listeners can choose any audiobook for free. See the page for more details.